The Fake Show podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Hutchison & Stephan, North Fifth Brewing Company, Threads of Envy, The Tone Factory Recording Studios, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Keyboard and synth wizard Thomas Dolby certainly came to prominence in the United States with his 1983 top five hit, She Blinded Me With Science, and then in 1984 with Hyperactive. He would also go on to work with other artists like Joni Mitchell, Stevie Wonder, foreigner and backed david bowie at live aid i wanted to talk to thomas about his brand new album and much more as i've got thomas dolby on the line right now in the uk hello jim thomas congratulations on the new ep halloween a thomas dolby creation when did you start working on that because i think it's a mix of old and new yeah yeah so um it's the 40th anniversary of she blinded me with science if you can believe that and so we thought we'd something to commemorate it. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of people are familiar with my songs like She Blind Me as Science or Hyperactive, yes. less so with some of the deeper cuts. And I think a lot of people also don't know all of the collaborations I've done with, you know, people like Foreigner and Def Leppard and David Bowie and Roger Waters and George Clinton, Johnny Mitchell and so on. So, yeah. you know, we put together a, a kind of a compilation of, of some of those uh, those songs and, and, you know, themed it around Halloween. So hopefully I will scare the pants off you. <laughs> I remember fondly just starting out in radio and artists like you and Howard Jones and Midgeur were really doing something new and exciting in music. It, it must have been exciting for you, too, to be on the scene at that point. It was an incredibly exciting time because, you know, we were exploring new horizons. Um, electronics in pop music were a very new concept. It wasn't universally accepted. We sort of felt like rebels, and some more uh, conventional parties were saying, oh, it's not real music. It's all sort of, you know, machines uh-huh. droning on. And uh, we set out to prove you know, that that was not the case, to create a new kind of sound, a new texture uh, with these with these songs. And fortunately, uh, although, you know, American radio at the time was still fairly conservative uh, in terms of, you know, sort of classic rock styles, you know, guitar and drum, that stuff. Yep. Um, MTV was really beginning to take off, you know, as a, as a force. And it had reached American cities and uh, hip people were staying home on a Saturday night to watch MTV videos that are going out to concerts and clubs. So it became very influential. And when I had a hit video on MTV, suddenly radio started playing my song as well. It was interesting, too, because there were bands like uh, Duran Duran who it all seemed to start at the very same time in terms of doing music music videos. When your music videos were on MTV, they were very special. It's obvious that you really worked on those because they were better than most, I think. I'd always been a fan of silent movies, you know, from the days of Charlie Chaplin and Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton. And, And they were always the underdog, you know. They were always, like, dodging the bullies and winning the girl through charm in the end. And, uh, you know, in in the early 80s, a lot of the top bands in the British invasion were fronted by sort of pin-up boys, you know, like like Simon Le Bon or Sting or Adam Ant or whatever. And I felt I'm never going to compete with that. Um, So I'm going to go back to my sort of geeky, professorial image. Uh I come from a very academic family. Uh, My dad and his dad and his dad were all Oxford and Cambridge professors. And I was the, the English boffin, you know, I was the guy with the soldering iron, um, piecing together, you know, these sort of frankincense. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we decided to, you know, push that as the image. But 
I guess there was some worry that, that you know, uh, the geeky image wouldn't go over. So I hired a bona fide mad scientist called Dr. Magnus Pike for the video. And he's the guy that goes, science, um, <laughs> on the video. And uh, by comparison, he made me look pretty cool, uh, you know, with my trench coat and my motorcycle and sidecar and my hot Japanese lab assistant. <laughs> and so it all came together and, and it kind of worked. When did you discover this thing called the synthesizer? Yeah, probably in the middle of the 70s. Um, you know, there were German bands like Kraftwerk and Tangerine yeah. Dream. Uh, there were sort of arty UK bands like Roxy Music. Uh, Brian Eno was a great exponent of the synthesizer. And they were quite expensive and heavy and didn't stay in tune but as technology you know made them cheaper and more accessible it became possible for people to start making pop records in their back room um so you know when bowie david bowie went to berlin and worked with eno and suddenly was having hit records on the radio made entirely with synths um soon to be followed by people like gary newman and the human league and soft cell and so on it really opened a new kind of new door and a new avenue um that, that you know wasn't so guitar and drum oriented and, and had all sorts of imaginative sounds and groups and that was really the wave that I rode in on. Yeah, and when writing something like She Blinded Me with Science, how do you determine what you're going to use in the studio? Because I think I remember reading that you had a lighting unit that actually laid down the drum tracks? Well I did. I mean when I first started playing electronic drums I was using my fingernails on these hard plastic pads. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't always very in time. But now one night I was out at a club and it was sort of early and the dance floor was empty and I was watching these flashing red and green lights in time with the music. And I thought, well, how do they do that? So I found that the DJ had a lighting console that sent out, you know, positive and negative voltages. And I thought, wow, I wonder if I could hook that up to my drum machine and, um, you know, get it to play the drums for me. So the next time you listen to the, the end section of She Blinded Me of Science, you're actually listening to a disco lighting console. <laughs> you must have loved artists like, say, Frank Zappa, Captain Beefheart, who might not have had the commercial success, but were geniuses. They were innovators, right? I didn't care how many records they sold or whether yeah. they charted or not. I, you know, I wasn't even aware, really, of, of whether... You know, my favorite artists were competing commercially. Um, and I suppose that I, you know, if you, if I had my druthers in those days, you'd say, well, would you love, love to be like a, you know, a pop superstar? Uh, or would you like to be one of these highly respected sort of more obscure acts that people cite as influences? I'd take the latter any day. Um, I'm very fortunate I've been able to sort of tread that line throughout my career and I've had just enough commercial success, you know, to, to provide a springboard into these other things that I've done in my career. Um, and I'm also very fortunate that, you know, 40 years on, She Blinded Me of Science, still showing up in TV shows, and commercials and video games and as people's ringtone and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have a very, a very blessed life. Bowie, tell me about how, how it came to be that he would invite you to be his backing band at Live Aid. Yeah. So, I mean, in 1985, um, Live Aid happened very quickly. Um, he had, I don't know, 10 days notice before the show, and his regular backing band weren't available. So Bowie called me and said, um, you know, you... Uh, are a music director, you know a lot of musicians, you're a producer in the UK, uh, can you help me put together a, a, a group of young English musicians to back me at Live Aid? So um, we had very little rehearsal. We had three evenings of rehearsal with Bowie, 
And he kept changing his mind about what songs to do, you know. But we were of the generation that really adulated David Bowie. And so we all knew all his songs, you know, by heart. Um, I flew into Wembley Stadium with him on that day. Um, and the guy was terrified of flying. So, uh, you know, I have this memory of flying into Wembley um, and Bowie with a, you know, fedora pulled down over his eyes, chain smoking, much the annoyance of the pilot. And yeah. um, years later, uh, the Queen film Bohemian Rhapsody came out, and they recreated our helicopter flight into into Wembley Stadium, you know, with like CGI. So I had a complete uh, flash of deja vu. Oh, that's but amazing! Being on, stage, being on stage with him playing songs like Heroes and uh, uh, Rebel Rebel wow. was just like a dream, a dream come true. Proudest moment in your career, do you think? I think certainly up to that point. Um, but I mean, you know, once again, it, it was just sort of one of the, like a tapestry of amazing experiences I've had. And I've been so lucky to rub shoulders with some of the greatest artists of their time and, you know, that were my own heroes. Thomas, only wish we had more time. I wanted to mention the Ascend Through Music for inner city kids in Baltimore that you're involved in. And everybody can find out more at Ascend Through Music. Dot org And of course, Thomas Dolby's new EP, Halloween, a Thomas Dolby creation, available uh, October 20th. Thomas, great to talk to you. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much for having me on. Thomas Dolby comes from a family of academics, so it is no surprise he's involved in school music programs. He is also on the faculty at the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University. That finishes this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.